Everybody get a good night's rest last night? No? Yeah? Okay. You're thinking, better keep it short because I'll be falling asleep if not. Uh, maybe if you're sleeping during sermons, um, it's the subject matter, the delivery. Perhaps it's because you have insomnia. And if you have insomnia, there may be reasons why that's going on that have less to do with a WebMD and more to do with um, Jesus MD. And today I'd like to just continue on the heels of, uh, of, uh, of a four-part message series that we began last week called Insomniac. And uh, as we do, um, I know uh, some of you, uh, when you were uh, thinking about your family and the things that keep you up at night, um, uh, shared that it was helpful to kind of go through that, that experience together as we processed it through the Word. Um, so if you weren't here and, and you'd like to know about that, we have online our sermons. Uh, we can uh, offer uh, DVDs if, if you don't have uh, the internet um, or you have dial-up or you have what we have here, which is probably like dial-up right now. Um, so anyhow, uh, there are ways that we can, we can get you up to speed and equipped. Um, some of you may or may not know me. I, I'm Leonard. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I would say that what goes on here is kind of a collaboration of different talents that are trying to accomplish uh, the Lord's purposes through our, 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 our differing gifts and abilities. And um, I have had my bouts with insomnia, so um, maybe I can speak about this uh, subject matter with, with a great deal of uh, personal experience. Uh, but before we get into it... Um, I have to tell you, I have some regrets. I have some things that I've done, things that I haven't done that I should have done, and I have issues, and they keep me up at night. One of those regrets, one of those things that I've done or I should have done was had the deacons, uh, or deacons, uh, the, um, our, our uh, volunteers back there take up the offering. They're just racing off right now, so my timing for that segue is way off. But uh, um, maybe I'll cue you guys again in just a little bit. Oh, they got it already? Well, here I am apologizing for something that I didn't even do. I mean, my issues run really, really deep. I got about four hours sleep last night. So if I'm, I'm like the, the elder said, yeah, if I'm pointing one finger at you, I'm pointing four back at me. And I remember because he lost a finger in a combine accident. I'm like, 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 not sure how to take that. But um, anyhow, not to over muddy the waters, uh, but hopefully... Uh, if, uh, if there are things going on in your life of a spiritual nature, sometimes God uses our lack of sleep to get our attention. And he may be doing that in your life today, I don't know. Uh, as, um, as I come to the, the theme for today, it has to do with um, how God helps us when we're sleepless over our regrets. And I, you know, I, I, I carry a few of them around, quite honestly. Um, my mother, she is the storehouse and the repo repository of all the stuff that we don't want to store at our house, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, like, I want to keep that stuff, but I don't want to manage it, so I'm going to let you have it. And some of the stuff, she said, okay, if you give it to me, I'm just going to throw it out. And she did, but she kept all the trophies that I had from racing motorcycles. And I said, we don't need that. I mean, I, that, was, that, that time's come and gone. I'm not interested. So well, we, we just might need that. And uh, I said, no, it's, it's, it's not important. I'm in a new season. Uh, but there are other stuff that I said, don't you dare throw that out. Uh, one was a ball glove. 
Uh, baseball glove, a good Rawlings baseball glove. Anybody have a good baseball glove you just never want to let go of? Uh, nice and broken in. Uh, funny thing about the glove is I remember playing a game and I missed a catch with it, uh, which led to the other team winning the game. Um, so, you know, it's a very wonderful symbolic reminder of failure. Uh, then there's... Um, other, uh, other things that are in the, on the treasure trove of do not throw out. Um, one of them is, a, is, an, is my first ACT test. And I'm not going to tell you what the single digit number was, but um, it's also a friendly reminder of, of my lack of academic ability. Uh, and, and so, you know, I keep that around. And the funny thing is, as it morphs from the very uh, real and tangible uh, to the symbolic. I also have a few physical scars on my body uh, as a result of making bad decisions, usually involving wrecking something or falling off of something or running my hand or arm through something. And if you've had those scars, you know, yeah, sorry I ever did that. That was a trip to the hospital I could have avoided. So I have those regrets, and then there are other scars that I have that run a little bit deeper. And they have to do with things I said or did not say to people that I should have said or did not say uh, something uh, that, that, that was misstated or not received well or not said at all. And I bear the reminders of those scars. And the list just goes on and on. And for some reason, sometimes at night... I look at those symbols and those scars, or I think about those things that I did, and I realize, um, you know, I can't unring that bell. Uh, I can't change it, but I'm still haunted by it. And some of you may have that. Anybody relate to stuff like that? Something that you did or didn't do, and you're like, man, I have some regrets. You look in the rearview mirror and you say, yeah, I see that, and I'd rather just keep that mirror thumb down so I'm not reminded of it constantly. Perhaps God is allowing those things to, uh, to show us something about ourselves that we may not want to admit. And it could be something that he's going to speak to you about today. Um, which I'm, I'm, I'm thinking some of you are saying to yourself, I'm really sorry I came to church today. Now I got regrets. And if you said that, then you should stay here and listen so you won't be sorry. As um, we plow into it a little bit, there are in your bulletin something called our message notes. And they uh, basically are a way of taking the substance of what we said uh, today and allowing you to reflect on it if you need to later on. Or to be equipped by it if you need to get a little bit of guidance. Because we, we, we do make these things so that they add value to your, to your walk with the Lord. Um, and one of the things that we wanted to highlight was how in the wake of... Uh, what Jesus went through in the, 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 the court hearing, the trial, the punishment, the resurrection, that, oh yeah, the cross. And all of those things that have monumental significance occurred, somehow through time and space, their effect is rippling out. And it rippled out in such a way that lives have been changed for 2,000 years as a result of those things that our Lord went through. And one of the people that was caught up in the experience happened to be Jesus' practically his best friend. After three years together, going all over the countryside, 
being involved in a whole cross-section of encounters with people, uh, they really bonded and they really connected. And there was a moment whenever they were sort of reflecting on the type of connection that they had together. And as Jesus was thinking about that and the road ahead, he said something kind of kind of mysterious to them. It was a little bit cryptic. And if you have your message notes, I'd just like to take a, a look at the front of the page where you see the insomniac guy, and you'll see a couple of scriptures. And one of them is in that moment when Jesus was evaluating their relationship and where this was all headed, <laughs> he, may, he dropped this bombshell. And, uh, and if you have it, let's go ahead and, and read it. Um, you, can just, you don't have to read it out loud, but just follow me as I read it. Peter declared... After Jesus said, some of you are going to fall away. Matter of fact, all of you are going to fall away. And, uh, and, and, and this whole thing is going to just disintegrate that we've, we've been enjoying together. And, and, and Peter said, uh, no, I'm not falling away. We've been together for three years. It's obvious to me that you are the real deal. You perform miracles. You've said things about the Old Testament that made absolute sense in ways that no one else has ever, ever declared. You've shown the face of God by standing up to the religious posturers and by showing deep compassion for those who are in pain and everything in between. And as, uh, as, as they just summed up the life of Jesus, they knew there's no question he is it, and we will follow him to the living end. And Jesus looked at him and he said, uh-uh, you're going to fall away. And they're like, no, we don't think so. This is too solid what we have going on here. And sure enough, as events unfolded, as Jesus went through his arrest, his trial, his beating, and on the way to the crucifixion, there was... Um, uh, this opportunity that Peter had to track with him. And as he's tracking with him, it becomes clearer and clearer in his mind that Jesus is headed for really an awful, awful fate. And he didn't want to be a part of it. And someone connected the dots as he was tracking with Jesus through this from a distance. And they said, weren't you with him? And he said, well, let me tell you what he said before. He said, even if all fall away, I will not. Jesus said, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Well, back to our scene. As Peter is warming his hands around a fire, and twice he's already been associated with Jesus, one other accuser says to him, you were with him, weren't you? And by this time, he's like in full denial. Then he got really nervous, and he swore, and he said, I don't know the man. And just then, a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he cried and he cried and he cried. And that's from the message version of the Bible. And what I like about that statement is just how gut-wrenching it is in description. Because I don't know how much you know about Peter, 
Uh, but he's one of those people that I can only imagine was a pretty hardy guy. He was a fisherman all of his life, probably built pretty solidly, um, had very strong, big, callous hands, weather-worn face, just a rugged-looking individual, kind of like, um, like Brian with sandals on, um, and, and just you know, very tough. And when Jesus first encountered him, uh, he, he, I'm sure he was thinking of nicknames. You know how people come up with nicknames for people. Um, he, he's been stewing on this one a while. And then there came the moment where he said, you know, the name Simon, that's not fresh. We need to call you who you are. And that is the rock. Simon, your name is now Peter, which means in Greek, the rock. And as Peter's given this designation, it's a statement about his character, his persona, and it was a description way before um, the rock. You know I'm talking about the modern rock. It was Jesus' way of just calling him out and saying, this is who you are. But the problem was, he wasn't so strong after all. Have you ever said you'll never do something And sure enough, there's an opportunity that came pretty quickly. And you said to yourself, "Ah, I just said I wouldn't do that. And now I find myself doing that. And Peter is in the throes of anguish because he boldly declared that I will never deny you only to have to eat his words. And as he's thinking about what he did, he ran off. Jesus went through what he had to go through. And now he's just in this loop, pondering what he did, what happened with Jesus, how Jesus came back, and now he feels awful because of his betrayal. And I just want to stop right there in his story and look at our story, because I think what he went through is instructional for you and I. Now, Peter had, had done a few things, even prior to that, that he regretted. And I think all of us can say we live with certain things that we would redo if we had the opportunity, but we can't. And he certainly couldn't redo what he did. And so here we are. And as Peter went through this process of making it come right, I think you and I can as well. So like Peter, we have all done things that we'll regret the rest of our lives. However, Peter took his subterranean existence of embarrassment and began to come back to the surface. And he took the failings that he had and he moved forward away from them and into something because he had a greater hope that was not sourced in him, but one that Jesus had told him about all along and then embodied that hope in the truth of his own death and his own resurrection that basically stated boldly that even sin and death cannot stop me because I am unstoppable and I am eternal. And this gave him a new sense of courage regarding what he had done and how he could move forward. Bottom line was the hope that he had in Christ overshadowed the regret that he was feeling for betraying Christ. And that was a deep, deep regret. Maybe there's something in your life that's going on that God is causing you not to sleep well over because you need to settle it in some way. And if you do, then I I, I would say pay careful attention to how he processes this. 
Because he does a few things here that I think show a great deal of courage and a lot of humility. And the first thing that he does is he takes what happened and he says, I've got to own this. I did this. I have to own it. And in Matthew 26, 74 and 75, which, which we partially quoted, he basically just came back around and he said, I'm listening to the words of Jesus. And they're reminding me of the fact that he made a statement about something that I would do. And I said, I will never do that. And in arrogance and in pride, I just basically said, I don't have the capacity to betray you, Lord. It'll never happen. You've, you've miscalculated what's going on inside of my being and my character. And then he realized Jesus was right and he was wrong. Now, how many of us have ever had to say to somebody that we really didn't want to say it to, but circumstances force us into it? Yeah, I was wrong. You ever have to do that? It's probably not your best moment. Or maybe even worse, you had to say, not only was I wrong, I'm, I'm sorry. And you're thinking, oh, this is such a nightmare. And Peter could have done this. He could have just said, I messed up in ways that you can't even imagine. I looked into the eyes of Jesus. He looked into my eyes at that moment when he was being arrested and I just had denied him the third time. And all he could see on my face was betrayal through the, through the smoky haze of the fire that I was warming my hands over. And as he saw that, and as I betrayed the one person who was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I can't live with myself with that on my conscience. He could have just said, I'm moving to Canada, and I'm just done with it. But he, 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 he did something that took a lot of courage, and he began to own it. Now, anybody, um, if, if you can't really understand the struggle, I, I can't say it as well as my seventh grade hero says it. So I'm just going to let him say it. I was ruined. I was not. I was ruined. Ralph, I was ruined. I was not exactly right. Yeah, but I want to tell you something. I still don't think I did anything wrong. Can't say that. Yeah, but what I really want to say is that I am very, uh, <laughs> I am sincerely Susan. You don't have to say you're sorry. Good, I won't. Okay, anybody know who that was? Okay, I wasn't sure how to think I was here, showing my age. I believe that was about 1977. Uh, and if you know the character, um, it's the Fonz, who's the coolest guy in the world at that time in the seventh grader's imagination. And I always remembered him not being able to articulate those words. I was wrong and I'm sorry. There were a couple others where he had to take responsibility and own something that was driving a wedge between himself and people that he really cared for a lot. And he had to come to that place where if he couldn't say it, he at least had to ferret it out of somebody else so that it at least could be right there in the room and he could own it. And maybe that's what's happening today is God is starting to ferret things out in your life and mine where we have to say, yeah, I need to own that. I 
I need, to, I need to name that this is the thing that I regret. And I've got to do whatever I need to do to make it right. Perhaps in this particular point in the, in the, in the, in the message time, you need to write down something that you need to own. Something that God is putting on your heart saying, this is unsettled. You need to resolve it. You need to own it. And it's not just, okay, it's me facing the brute forces of the situation and how it's going to pummel me. But perhaps consider for a moment that one of the things that occurred to the believers, including Peter, was that he, after this whole ordeal, became enabled by God's spirit to do things that he couldn't otherwise have the courage to do. And in hindsight, God was even working in the lives of people that were in that equation to create forgiveness. And as he was walking into the unknown here, he just said, I've got to do the right thing. And Jesus is already moving towards him so that he can help him to be drawn out of that thing that he's stuck in and become the person that he needs to become for the road ahead. But if we have stuff that we're not owning, we're stuck. How do we know we're stuck? Because maybe it's just the difference between your definition of misery and broken. A person who's miserable says, yeah, I'm, I'm carrying this regret for these reasons. I'm sorry I did what I did, and now I have to live with the consequences. But misery also concludes that I'm not that motivated to change my direction. Yeah, I got caught out, but I don't want to change anything. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you're thinking of a person right now who has said, yeah, I did that. I'm sorry. But then they end up repeating the same behavior or doing the same thought pattern or actions that reinforce those bad consequences. And all they're doing is basically looping their misery around and around and around in their lives and not getting out of that. They're just stuck. For a lot of believers, myself included, um, I've been there. But I've also realized that that place can lead you to a different place, and that is where you're broken. And it's where God says, I've been working on you so long in this area that you really have no place to go. It has broken you down. And it's not a bad place. It's actually a very, very good place in disguise. It's a way of getting us to the presence of mind where we're not thinking about anything except our own remorse and how God can help us. And being broken says something a little different than what the misery guy said. I'm humbled by my failings to a degree that you, you just, you, you, you can't even imagine. I've cried and cried and cried. I am genuinely remorseful. I am seeking God for help to change not only my life, but my direction. And if God's doing that in your life, that's a pretty special moment. Because what he's doing is he's undoing some stuff that is, at the end of the day, very toxic. And he's rewiring your life with something very good. That's a humility that you need to move ahead. It's a forgiveness that you need to cleanse your conscience. It's the courage that you need to reconnect with those people that you've alienated in the process. And everything that is going to bring life back to your, your own being and, 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 and the equation. 
And when Peter was going through this process of being broken, he started thinking about how he would move forward. Now, he learned some things from how he responded through the experience. And I think one reason why myself and maybe some of you carry it around is we've just done a lot of things in life. Some of the things, you know, it's been adventure, it's been opportunity, it's been uh, things that, uh, you know, are once-in-a-lifetime things. And in a lot of them, you, I don't know what I'm doing here, but um, uh, you learn and you grow. And in some of them, you make some colossal mistakes that you end up caring for the rest of your life. And Peter said, I'm learning and I'm moving forward. Maybe that's what you have to say to yourself as God's leading you through this. I'm going to own it. I'm going to learn. I'm going to move forward. But there's a little problem on the way to owning it. And that is there's another part of your mind that kicks in. And it's the part that says a couple of deadly words. Yeah, but. And after the yeah, but, there's a, there's a justification. There's an excuse There's a way of trying to reframe the situation so that you don't come out looking bad after all. And all you're doing is just kidding yourself and kidding everyone around you. And maybe, just maybe, another person is responsible for why you're in this place to varying degrees. But somewhere in those overlapping circles is the part that you're responsible for. And you have to say, yeah, I got to own that. I got caught up in something that just, it, it just wasn't my best person. And if you're thinking, I'm going mis- to make mistakes, but I'm going to cover my tracks. Um, maybe, maybe you're not even there yet. Maybe you're like Peter saying, that will never happen. I will never cheat on my wife. I will never do something at work that is unethical. I will never say something that's going to let my kids down or demoralize them. I will never take something from someone else. And the list can just go on and on. And the regrets just pile up. Because you said, I know I'm above that. But somehow, you got caught up in it. And it caught you. Well, I have wonderful news for you. You're not going to undo the consequences of that. Uh, entirely, but God can help you with that and he can work it together for good in some way that only he is capable of. And Peter, looking back, said, I got to keep going to the Lord and I've got to own this because somewhere along the way, he has the answer for this. So the first thing that Peter did, I think, to help himself out, and we do as well, is we just own what's there. Yeah, that regret, that's me. Second thing he did was, I, I, think, I think it's worth highlighting. We gloss over it in the story, but he actually, after he betrayed Jesus, he found himself back with the other believers. And they were hiding at first, and then eventually they just went off fishing together. And the interesting thing about it is, I don't know if that's me or not, but the interesting thing about yeah, but, yeah, it's not me, honest. I'm not doing it. Not, uh, not to be too distracted by that, but just consider for a minute what he did. He basically stayed with the group. And he said, 
I, I've, got to, I've got to get back with these other people. Now, he could have said, I've got to get back with these other people and tell them that I betrayed the Lord. The cool thing about going back with the other people is they all betrayed the Lord as well. They were all in the same boat. And as uh, we're all in the same boat, it's nice to know that when we look around the room, if we're honest, all of us have regrets. All of us look at, to the cross of Jesus as a means of forgiveness. And all of us who do that discover that through that cross, there's cleansing, there's forgiveness from the Lord, and there's reconciliation to the Lord. And there isn't a person in this room who I, I think could say, I'm perfect. And I would say that if you're here and you're perfect, you're not allowed. Because this is a no perfect people only zone. It's the only way it works. And Jesus is the only perfect one in the equation. Now, the nice thing about it is, it's the only way that God can create a new group of people, a new humanity, where there is neither class stratification, economic differences that define us. There are places in society or culture that differentiate us. But Paul said, no, in this place, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And he could have just added to the list of all the other socially defining uh, categories. And he said, that's all gone because we are all one in Christ. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all in the same boat. Maybe you haven't been coming to church or somebody that you know isn't coming to church because you're thinking, if they only knew what I did. Now, if they were aware of that, they wouldn't allow me in. Or I'm so embarrassed by what I've done. I can assure you, there are more embarrassed people. There are people in here who are more embarrassed than you probably are. I know this because I'm a pastor and I'm privy to a lot of stuff that I don't tell anybody. And I can just say that there's a whole cross-section of regret uh, that, that many people carry. And so chances are what you've done you may want to brag about it, or you may want to wallow in embarrassment or remorse, but, I've, but worse has been done. And that said, there's a power there because we share something together. We accept one another. When we make an, an infraction against another person, because chances are, if you hang around somebody long enough, you're going to offend them or they're going to offend you. But we all eat at this table reminding ourselves but we've all offended him worse. And yet he loves us and reconciles with us. Who are we to not do the same? So there's power in the group. So whatever you've done, stay in the group. Sound like a teacher taking second graders on a field trip. But it's more like Jesus taking people on a journey to a great destination. There's power in the group. And so we have to stay in the group and know that as we do... We're amongst good company. We're all in the same boat, just like the disciples were. Here's the last thing that he did. Um, and that is, in John 21, there's another episode that I quickly want to reflect on. G Peter is in the boat. He's looking at the sky. The regret is just swimming around in his head, unresolved, unresolvable. The day out on the lake, not exactly stellar. Pretty much been out here all day, haven't caught anything. Scripture says that off in the distance on the shoreline, a man said, hey, catching any fish? And they said, ask us another question. 
And as, as I'm not sure what I got going on here, but um, as, there we go, as, um, as he shouted out to him, he said, well, my suggestion is cast your net on the other side, which they did. And as soon as they did, scripture says there were 153 fish that were caught almost immediately. Now, here's a quick question. Why do you think the Bible said 153? Any idea? Well, believe it or not, I've had extensive seminary training. I kind of pride myself on projecting at least I, I'm, I'm kind of smart. And I can tell you this. The reason it says 153 is there are only 153. Just bottom line. No significance beyond that. I also read a lot of books. And I don't read any books that don't, aren't written by a doctor. My finest collection is by Dr. Seuss. And anything I need to learn, he's probably already said it. The one thing that all that distracting stuff does, if we're not careful and lose sight of things, is that the most important thing that any of us can learn is what Peter learned and how he responded to what he learned. He dove in and he swam toward Jesus the minute that he realized that was him. And as he did that, he basically said, I'm moving on. And he, not me or some ideas, he has all the answers to whatever it is that we need to resolve. And I just, I just got to reconnect with him. See, our faith isn't about a bunch of ideas although it is, but it's more towards a person who represents ideas. And if you don't keep him in the center, it all falls apart. And Peter, of all people, knew that. And he's on the shore, and, and they're done, and they're, they've done everything that they need. So they're eating some, some fish. It's cooking on the grill. And as the smoke is sort of billowing up, he looks through the smoke into the eyes of the person that he had betrayed not too long ago. And the betrayer finds himself as on the receiving end of the piercing gaze of someone who offers nothing but love and forgiveness. And he's just completely gotten by that. As he's spellbound in Jesus' wonderful, overwhelming love, Jesus asks a question. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. And he asked him this three times. But Jesus said, now this is something you've got to catch and then we're, we're, we're done. Jesus said, do you agape o me? Which means in, in, in Greek, do you love me unconditionally? Like, would you die for me and not even think twice about it? Would you give me your all? And as Peter has asked this question, do you respond to me in that kind of love? He can only say, I can only respond with phileo, with the word for brotherly love. Because I know myself well enough to say that I don't have the capability to, to, to say that at every point in every aspect of my life, I'm going to perfectly give you the perfect love that you gave us. I can't do that. I'm not capable of that. I once thought that I would never deny you, but pride goes before a fall, and I fell, and I fell hard, and I know I'm a man that has limitations. I know that I have weaknesses. I know that I need help. And Jesus said... Feed my sheep. And the destiny of Peter went from a person who was sleepless with regret to someone who said, in humility, 
and self-awareness. I can do great things, but it's not me. It's Jesus who lives through me that makes it happen. And that really is the key here. And it begins with surrender. Inviting him in and saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I have regrets. I know that I've made a mess. I know that I need help. And all that stuff I lay before you in a spirit of surrender. And when you do, Scripture says, humble yourself before the Lord, and in due time, he will lift you up. He will put you in that right place and make you whole again. But it starts with a connection with him. We're going to end it right now with just hopefully a response to what we've just went through together. Maybe there's an expectation that God has placed on you to act on what you've heard. And you're pushing that prompting away. And God's saying, I'm going to keep after you. Because that's how much I love you. And I want you to be with me forever. And I'm going to be relentless. The cool thing about Jesus was he went to the lake to find Peter. It wasn't like Peter said, okay, I'm going to go find you. No, Jesus was proactive. And he's working, trust me in each of your lives in different ways to call you in.